You're now listening to the sound of Spider-Man swinging through skyscrapers. And the three, what's the next word for people? The three sentient sapiens. The three sentient sapiens. Jake, famously, a virulent Darwinist. Yes. Got me. That's not true. That's not true. Quite the opposite. I don't know that you could S find... word for people is best I could come up with. <laughs> sentient sapiens. Let's see if Ben can do any better. Ben, it's you... going to be sentience, and then I came up with sapiens. Sapiens, so. yeah. Uh, no, I can't. Sorry. You can't do better than sentient sapiens? <laughs> no. How about somnambulists? Isn't that people that sleep a lot? Somebodies. Yeah, somebodies. Yeah, there we go. All right, that's good. Three that's sentient better. somebodies. Oh, mm, I just had like post-nasal drip. Hmm. Okay. Mm. No, it's, <laughs> it's like you're savoring no, it. No, I'm not savoring it. We're quite the opposite. <laughs> What's an S word for the opposite of savoring? I'm s- salivating. No. What's the? <laughs> That's okay. more of a synonym. No, I'm salivating. I'm, over I'm it. suffering. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway, no one said we had to do this podcast with all S words. We can use all 26 letters to start the words that we say in this podcast. And who is the we? You might ask. Well. I'm one of them. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. And I like I like movies. And I'll tell you who else likes movies. It's Benjamin. Oh, more post-basal drip. I'm so sorry, folks. I don't know where it's coming from. Maybe it's just musty down here in Top Secret Studio B. Do people like hearing what's going on in my nasal cavities? No. Is that something that people tune into this podcast? Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> Should we do a spinoff show? <laughs> nasal cavities with Nathan? You, you can try. <laughs> be a lonely see podcast, how, I'll tell you that. How well that goes. Watch that Patreon jump through the, <laughs> into the stratosphere. That's exactly what would happen. <laughs> hey, he's the preacher who's a teacher of cinema. His name is Benjamin J. Solzer, right there. The man, the man, the myth, the legend. A veritable person who takes responsibility he's a veritable person he's a a veritable human being i am that he exists he is currently he bees and what's uncle ben's thing he has great power and so he takes great responsibility one of the things you're responsible for ben is introducing the third person while i try and get rid of this post-nasal drip you guys could talk for a minute all right third person is pastor jake mensel pastor who is a master of Cinema, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Traditionally on I'm the book. I'm kind of a master of whatever my hand undertakes. Right. It's a handy quality. Yeah. So you're, not, you're, not, you're not a jack of all trades. You're a master of all trades. That's right. Yeah. A jack of none. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> well, here we are. Here we are. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I think we might be post-post-nasal drip now. So, speaking of post-nasal drip, let's talk about Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible movie that everyone hates. Right. <sighs> well, it's safe to say we're doing another episode on Spider-Verse. <laughs> we are, yeah. And a lot of this is coming out of the fact that Matt Menzel, the brother of our esteemed pastor Jacob Menzel, yeah. had a take that we thought was worth sharing. Yeah. But I also I want to continue litigating this whole thing because I don't think our conversation was finished. Now, since the time that we had our Spider-Verse discussion, which I'm not going to, can we recreate it very quickly? Probably not. People just have to listen to that all nine hours of that episode, right? Yeah, they have to listen to it. I mean, the basic question was, what is the centerpiece? You know, what, what makes Miles come alive? 
Right. There's the what's up danger scene. That's the name of the song, right? The yep. leap of faith scene. Miles takes a leap of faith. They use it in all the trailers. It's an awesome little slice of cinema. And the pivotal question of the movie is why does Miles level up at that point? Why does his hero's journey reach its yeah, and, cathartic moment there? And so if you listen last week, you will hear that Nathan came prepared to say it feels just kind of arbitrary because the movie needed it at that point and I don't quite buy into the different factors that brought this sort of self-actual leap of faith into what faith in what kind of thing. And I jumped in and said, it's dad, it's a dad story. And I made a case and we litigated that and... You should just make the case. So basically... But my, my case... In in my case was this is a meta commentary on all of our hero movies and the kinds of um, movies that we actually like to uh, deconstruct or dismantle uh, the guardians found family type thing where it's just us versus them and me and my found family versus you and yours or the flawed mentor uh, trope that you see in superhero movies where you've got the broken down old man mm-hmm. who is going to mentor the young man into you know, maturity, whether it's Obi-Wan or it's, uh, it's, uh, oh, I don't know. It's Anthony Hopkins is Zorro. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that was the <laughs> One of the great mentors. <laughs> but it's a, it's One of the great just, Spanish <laughs> accents. <It's> in <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, a, you know, you see it all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, and Nathan in, I th- uh, was prepared to take just a straight read on, it was both of those and none of them are quite working. And I said, actually, we had the found family fail to help Miles level up. We had the the hobo mentor fail to help him level up. He couldn't make himself level up. And then you had dad show up. And all dad had to do was come in and say, Miles, I love you and I'm proud of you. I see a spark in you. All that kind of and stuff. And it's amazing. I'd like to apologize for attempting a the accent of a person of color. Please don't cancel <clears> us. So I see this spark in you and it's amazing, but it's yours. Mm-hmm. And I love you and I'm proud of you. And I just don't want uh, whatever happened uh, between me and my brother to happen between us. I sense distance here and I don't want that. I love you and I'm proud of you. And I believe in you. And that's that's it. That's what Miles needed was dad. And right. dad could step in where nobody else could. And he didn't need to believe in himself. He didn't need his found family to believe in him. He didn't need his uncle Aaron. He didn't need his dopey mentor. If dad was there, that was enough. And so, boom, Miles can bust out of his webs. You know, he's webbed up in the room. He can bust out. He can go. He can take his leap of faith. He can become Spider-Man. And it's actually much more wholesome. It puts all of those other uh, tropes in their place, subordinates them to Dad, Miles doesn't have the broken, guilt, trippy stuff. He just has a, a family that loves him, a real one. And he also still has his hobo mentor and his found family and whatever, and they have their place. But Miles's superpower is my dad loves me and is proud of me. And that's his, that's his source. That's his secret. Hulk's angry. Miles's dad's proud of him. So you made that argument. And safe to say, I'm, I'm going to say upwards of four or five people reached out in various forums and places to say they loved that argument. Uh, We got a lot of feedback on this episode and people 
liked that read. Now, some people say said, oh, yeah, that was my read, too, which is fair enough. A number of people, I felt like, were kind of proving my point by saying, oh, wow, what a great read. I love that read. I love that read. I will adopt that read. I will adopt that read. Yeah. Which, to my mind, if you didn't get it out of the movie already, then that's it's- That's part of the problem. That's part of the yeah. problem. That's, that's yeah. the whole thing that I've been saying, is they didn't clarify it and- that means the death of civilization, uh, <laughs> which I tried to argue last time, and you guys were like, "Whatever." But I'm going to come back this time. But <laughs> like whatever. No, no, I, I I made some good points. I'm I'm being self-deprecating, but I think I have a, a clearer way of saying it this time, which I will get to. But before we get, that'll be your cliffhanger. I'm going to tell you why Spider Verse is a harbinger of doom for our entire civilization. Great. But let's talk about. Matt Menzel's read because our good friend and uh, a brother to at least one of us. Yeah. Matt Menzel. You, listener, can figure out who he's a brother to. But his name is Matt Menzel. And he had a read that he shared with us. And yeah, his, his take also was just from a structural storytelling standpoint. They were able to accomplish two movies worth of character growth in Miles by how they structured this movie and how they used uh, the Spider-Verse in particular. And so the, his, his argument basically was like this, in any Spider-Man movie or hero movie, he's going to have to, you have to have spider powers in the second act. And so you have to get to spider powers by the second act. If you don't get to spider powers by the second act, then it's boring. Why did I buy my ticket? Why did I buy my ticket to I a Spider-Man, to Spider-Man Yeah, I have to see two acts worth of spider powers. And so, in, and you can see this in an Iron Man movie or a Thor movie or whatever. The first movie is, I have powers. What do I do with them? I have this responsibility. Will I embrace the responsibility of having these powers or won't I? Will I use them for good or won't I? And in the second movie, you have an identity crisis. Am I the suit or am I me? Am I my powers? Who do I want to be in a struggle against impotence? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see that in uh, Iron Man movie, you can see it in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man 2 is the famous example, but you could also argue Superman 2, you could argue Iron Man 2, yep. and almost any 2 has this Captain America 2. Yep. They, they all have this kind of, well, we know who we are, but now what are we kind of, and, and the struggle against impotence, sometimes quite literally, and like in Spider-Man's case, he loses his powers. It's, yeah, he's, he's, in Superman's case, he loses his powers right. in Superman 2. Yeah. So all those things, that's a pretty common way of developing a superhero's character. You know, by the end of 2, he is, he is Iron Man, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually Iron Man 3, but right. anyhow... Matt's point was by pulling in from the very first scene, the original Peter Parker, and then bringing in Peter B. Parker and Spider-Gwen and these other characters, you're able to get interesting spider action. Mm -hmm. And you don't have Miles' power, you don't have a powered up Miles until the final 15 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. So... Everybody else has their little moments of development and moments of development, and we get to see cool spider powers and different things throughout the movie while Miles goes through both of those phases of of character growth over the first two acts into the third act so that, you know, we can then get 15 minutes of, of Miles and it can be satisfying and awesome, which allows just a lot more depth of character development, which I think Matt was making the case is another argument for 
the superiority of this movie as a as a superhero movie mm -hmm. because of just how much it's able to do without feeling like it's overwhelming you with character development or anything else. It can still feel really lightweight and fun. Right. But you just get the full two movies worth of growth in one. So that was that was his take or one aspect of his take that he thought we just missed or right. we we should have picked up on or would have been cool if we had. That's a good take. And mm -hmm. when you think about oftentimes superhero movies have dumb third acts. Batman Begins is the famous one. Like what a ridiculous Oh no, they're poisoning the water supply. <laughs> <laughs> third everybody I think hates that third act. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah. the first act the first two act the problem is somewhere mid or early second act is when the hero has to self-actualize so that we can get all the hero stuff. So then you have to have another self-actualization in act three and it can just make things lumpy. Yeah. Like Peter Parker's discovered who he is. Now he has to figure it out again. And you see different ways of solving this problem. One of my favorites, I don't even know if I like this movie, but just for sheer gumption, Ang Lee's The Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> which actually Not kind of seen that one. kind of does a similar thing where he doesn't really well nobody really ever self-actualizes in that movie because no. it's just a depressing <laughs> shakespearean log but he puts off all the hulk action i mean i just remember people sitting in the theater stunned by what they were seeing because it's just people crying and trying <laughs> to get their sad lives together and that goes on for basically two acts with some action breaks saying he's not an idiot but Basically, you don't really get the Hulk until the very end of the movie. And so that's one way to do it. Bore everyone to tears and have the one of the biggest drop-offs, second week drop-offs in movie history. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is like just the Iron Man 1 style where it's like Tony kind of self-actualizes here and then he kind of has to do it again two or three more times in the movie. And then in the sequel, he's going to do the same thing. And then Tony's always kind of teetering between narcissism and love of humanity. And it's not that they don't thread the needle better than I just described, but it's a little bit arbitrary. And then, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the other examples are. But in any case, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think this movie manages to, just the way it's structured is very clever. It actually allows miles to grow at a reason a more reasonable pace than a lot of movies like this would do and it's precisely because you can bring in everyone else to have the flashiness and the action and the it's stuff fun. the stuff that we paid for uh, which is fair enough i think that's a good take yep and mm -hmm. i don't know what do you want to add ben i don't <clears throat> have much to add it, i think i think it's an accurate take i think that's why it works it also, I mean, it's, it is a meta Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. So it ex it's just explicit about, hey, here's who Spider-Man is. You already know the story. We're going to tell it again and we're going to have fun with telling it again and again as we mm -hmm. introduce different spider people. <clears throat> and we can do this over and over and you're going to feel like we've served you well and introduced the character actually. And then you can fill in all the gaps you need to for mm -hmm. Miles actually. I mean, you just don't have to, I don't know. It just, it just, it leaves a lot of that burden on things you already are familiar with. Which is a privilege that has the right, I mean, Spider-Man's just that ubiquitous. That's and right. you can come to it. Like, I think probably a good portion of my kids came to this as one of their first Spider-Man, at least Spider-Man origin stories. Like if they had, if their first experience of Spider-Man was MCU Spider-Man, 
There's no origin stories there. Right. True or false? Tom Holland had been introduced to the world of Spider-Man before this movie? True. I think true, yeah. True. But only probably just in Civil War. He hadn't had his own movie before I think so. Maybe he had Homecoming, but I don't think so. Yeah, I can't remember the timing. I don't know. We guess we can look it up. Yeah, let's see. So, Spider-Verse is a movie that... But I know that when my kids saw this movie, they hadn't seen Raimi and they hadn't seen Webb. But it still does the work. Yeah. Actually, because it makes a point of like, we're Spider-Man and we have a tragic origin story. Mm-hmm. It's very clever. Yeah, I, I could I could see it being a film for noobs. Well, uh, we just watched the... I've been watching Raimi with... and uh, Started with Evil Dead, worked your way through The Quick and the Dead. And, yes, that's uh, right. Like the, the whole, whole Raimi-verse. Catalog, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The Raimi-verse. Uh, the Raimi-verse. <laughs> <laughs> Does Evil Dead take place in the same universe as Spider-Man? The answer is yes. You know, but Spider-Man, you know, stops the train. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a... That's know, a three-second shot from... Oh, a huh? panel from Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's from... <laughs> like, when we get done watching Raimi, we'll watch Spider-Verse again, probably, and they'll be like, oh, I get it. And just yeah. in the first five minutes, they'll that's have right. any number of... You got the Upside Down Kiss, you got the... The dancing. The dancing, the... Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, like, d- the degree to which I'm going to let them watch the third one. Yep. I've never seen the third one, so if, really? it, if it has naughtiness or something, I, I just don't it's remember. Just, it's dark in it's weird ways. Darker and Venom. I know it, it has Venom. It's bizarre. It's, it'd be harder for a kid to parse. It's the it's the same in the same way that like it's also dumber. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's also stupid. In the same way that you know, different movies feel or franchises feel like they need to grow up with their audience and get darker and more mature. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter is the obvious. Harry Potter being example. an obvious example. Uh, the, the I think the Raimi Spider Verse uh, follows a similar trajectory. Well, so there's a thing that happens in every Spider Verse story, or in yeah, any kind of Spider Man lore. MJ and Peter are always start having trouble, and I'm I'm always bored by that, and I don't want it. I I just once they finally connect, you, you can put it off for as long tiger. as you want. Yeah, like you can you can you can milk it for a few movies of him kind of uh what's the word you know what what is it when you see a chick but you can't talk to her and you're doing something over her you're weep you're not weeping over her moaning over her you're mooning over her <laughs> what's the word <laughs> i don't think it's mooning no it's not i know but you're doing something you're pining there you go uh, yeah <laughs> pining <Yes. laughs> pining over her <laughs> okay, not pull a simple word uh, you can have a couple movies of he's pining and they almost connect and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I, we're all here for that. Tom Holland's in his own version of that right now. But the continuity, by the way, of MJ between Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, when you watch them close together is pretty bad. That is pretty terrible. Me. Yeah. Like the, huh. like it goes from like, she's this girl who's so high above him that can't notice him. Who's dating, you know, the, star and is with all the cool people to she's like been obsessed with him her whole life vibe oh, yeah. in Spider-Man 2 and this. just like waiting for him because she's so in love with him and always has been like and you know this is like a childhood like you know and he's just never he can't give her the, it's like yeah that's not the story that you told right at all that's not the same MJ at all but no the entire 
fantasy appeal of it for young men is that she's the person who wouldn't give him the time of day and then because he became spider-man she came around like that's that's what's fun about it but it's not fun if she was always pining over him i don't think and that's what that's all she does in the whole second movie is she's pining over him and she's trying to make him jealous and she's just disappointed and she's ready to break off the engagement or is she and then she is, and then he's like going to back off. It, it, what it sounds like, Jake, is you're describing, you're reminding me of the reasons I've never been back to that second movie. <laughs> yeah, the one that we <laughs> made the a, greatest superhero movie of that's all time. Right. The, the, it's the, really tiresome in terms of the romance between Peter and MJ. It's really tiresome. Yeah. See, this is, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. We're going to do it. You it's really to... great. As a, It's still a really great movie. Sure, sure. But that whole, the whole MJ Peter angle is, it gets tiresome. Well, get us to yeah. 250 folks and we'll do it. We'll talk about it. Uh, I will say my brother and his wife listened to our first podcast and were inspired to go and watch Spider-Man 2. And they came back at me and made me feel like a decrepit old man because they were just like, what a slow, boring, stupid movie. Were you like clowning on us like why do you guys think that's one of the best movies this movie has nothing on spider-verse it's night and day we turned it off halfway through what a boring piece of garbage like they had there's a case to be made they had no patience for it there's a case to be made it is nowhere near as fun as spider-verse it really is not as i don't think it's as fun as spider-man 3 (laughs) spider-man 3 is stupid but it's fun all right gauntlet thrown down gauntlet is thrown down Oh man. It does have what what it does have is uh, it's even got a scene where they bring Ben Parker back on a whiteout. Right. Oh, I forgot about this. But it does, you know, you could say it's uh over the top or ham fisted, but it does get more more emotion out of you. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's nowhere near as fun. Well there you go. I ha- I really haven't I, th- I think I saw it a few times. It was one of those, you know, I don't remember how old I was, but we had a two dollar theater. I saw movies every weekend. It was like the most movie-ish time of my life. And so I probably saw it five times in the theater and then never saw it again. There's a number of movies like that. Gladiators, probably the main one that yeah, I just yeah. saw over and over and over again. Yeah, and me I've too. Never gone back uh, to it. That is actually the movie that inspired Matt's Spider-Man take. He went back to it and he said they did way more with Miles in Spider-Verse than they did with Peter over two movies than Raimi did with Peter over two movies Mm -hmm. in terms of his actual character development, and they just belabored it. Right. And it could actually have been streamlined, and Hmm. so, yeah. It was a belabor of love. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I like it. Can I? Well, speaking of belabors of love, guys, I I felt bad about my relative inability to articulate why Spider-Verse was the end of civilization as we know it last time but you figured it out well last late last night i went on tear and i actually i've prepared a written statement (laughs) that i'd like to read to you guys now (laughs) okay (laughs) wow now first and i've never done this before but i'm gonna read this written statement so that i can make sure i have fully articulated my thoughts on spider-verse because my thoughts on spider-verse i will admit are insane I'm either a crazy person or I know what I'm talking about. Those are the the two options here. I, it's quite possible I'm a crazy person, though. But <laughs> I don't think I'm a crazy person. I think everybody else is. Uh, that's what a crazy person would that's say. That's what a crazy person would say. It's true. <laughs> Will you guys grant me 
that Spider-Verse is open to several readings that in fact you do not have to get the dad thing out of it that you you can get found family out of it that you can get dad out of it that you can get that in fact different people going to the movie will get different things out of it depending on what they want to see there and what interests them and intrigues them I think there's a degree to which that's true. I'm not prepared to give it all because the fact remains that the found family and the mentor tied Peter to a chair and it wasn't until dad showed up and gave a speech, an inspiring speech that Miles was able to break free. So you have to recognize that one way or another, depending on, I'll give you that you can come away emphasizing uh, found family or the mentor or relationship more. simple self-actualization or like, simple self-actualization which i think is probably the strongest case to alt case to be made and probably the one i actually believe is actually true yeah just miles just needed to believe in himself and it however he was going to get there dad helped found family dad, helped, dad was the it was the principal and most important catalyst the final piece yep. of the puzzle but he pulled dad and found family and his mentor and Uncle Aaron together. And the spark, it, I, I see it, but it's yours. You have to do what you're going to do with it. He has to pull it together and make himself. I think that's the, I think that's the straight read. Yeah. With dad being the most important catalyzing element. But I, I don't think you can get away from the fact that the movie did structure it to lead up to dad being the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yes, to an extent, but not, I, I grant you 85%. So it's a so it's that. a self-actualization story that's not cynical about dad's role in self-actualization. Right. And and which you can also relate to it's it's not untruthful either in that sense because mm-hmm. we all are right trying to be the best of our dads and the best of our mentors and the best of our friends and ourselves as well. Right but our own person. Yeah. And we're trying to rise above them all, which is what they all want for us. Right. Yeah. If they're, if they love us. Okay. So, well, intuitively speaking, the fact that it doesn't just choose one, the fact that it doesn't just close off all the avenues and give us one of those things, any of those things has always bothered me from the moment that we stepped out of the theater and, I've been trying to articulate it for a few years now. And so (laughs) here is my prepared statement on why it bothers me. And is therefore the end of civilization. And is therefore the end of civilization. All right. Only slightly exaggerating. All right. Okay. So I'm going to start reading my statement here, folks. You could easily argue that this is about dad is repressive and needs to let his son go. Or that dad is ultimately a side plot and really Miles needs to believe in himself. Or that this is about found family. Or that it's about found family failing and fatherhood being triumphant. I think this movie is calibrated to be everything to everyone. And therefore, there's a sense in which it's like a Rorschach test. It's meant to show you what you want to see. That's fundamentally different from Star Wars, which tells you that believing in positive energy wins. Which is a dumb message but it's a message or Marvel, which tells you that found family is a way to fight the tyranny of the oppressor, which is maybe a dumb message or maybe a good message, but it's a message. 
or real Spider-Man stories, which tell you that great power comes with great responsibility, or The Matrix, which says that true love and believing in yourself, believing in your destiny wins. Those are mostly stupid messages, but they're coherent and they're inarguably linked to the movies they came out of. Nobody arguing in good faith would deny that I've explained the messages of those movies, whether they agreed with those messages or not. Spider-Man, on the other hand, and this is where this is where I'm either completely crazy and uh, by the way, folks, I'm sorry to use all the kind of highfalutin things I'm about to say, but I just I don't know how to talk about this without sounding like this. So <laughs> maybe maybe that's an argument against my point. Anyway, let me continue reading my prepared statement. Spider-Verse, on the other hand, is like communion or baptism at a church that no longer believes in God or the scripture. It's an empty ritual, an empty ritual that can mean family or community or individuality. It can mean whatever you want it to mean because it's ritual decoupled from meaning. And I believe that movies like Spider-Verse will continue to decouple meaning from ritual until the only point is the ritual itself and whatever meaning you want to bring to it. Stories used to be about things, processing our fears, our desires, our strengths and weaknesses. Spider-Verse is in fact a very sophisticated blank canvas that allows you to project whatever you want onto it. I'm glad that Jake and many of our listeners project such good things onto the canvas, but ultimately I think it's their own good natures that project these things. I don't think there's anything in the movie itself that compels you to find those meanings. I think this movie is a ritual act of Spider-Man stuff. It's not anything more than that. It enacts the Spider-Man rituals, invokes the Spider-Man feelings, just like a priest can enact communion and evoke communion feelings. And if he's good, he can make an atheist cry. It doesn't mean that the atheist believes in anything. An obvious example of where our culture is going with this is sex, a ritual decoupled from meaning. The act of sex no longer has to mean marriage. It doesn't have to mean love. It doesn't have to mean pleasure. The only meaning is what you bring to it. It's a lie, of course, but it's a prevalent and dangerous lie. Stories are becoming increasingly that way. IP is about other IP. Disney's remaking its classics. Star Wars and Marvel are less about the stories you can tell in the Star Wars and Marvel universes and more about telling Star Wars and Marvel's stories. Just as sex is only ultimately allowed to be about sex and much religious ritual is only allowed to be about religious ritual, story is increasingly only about story. Lord and Miller and Spider-Verse are on the cutting edge of this inversion of everything that's good. And they're so good that nobody sees it except a genius like myself. <laughs> but mark my words, popular art is finally really catching up with fine art, which abandoned meaning and beauty and gave itself to decadence, chaos, narcissism, and pure subjectivism a long time ago. Popular art never really went that direction, not completely, because it needed to have meaning and beauty in order to be popular. But maybe people like Lord and Miller have finally found the way to embrace true postmodern decadence, and that way is to enact all the old storytelling rituals, use them to evoke all the old feelings, but strip, strip them of the old meaning. We see something of this impulse even in recent movies like Black Widow, which is about family without being about family, about feminism and empowerment without having much to say about either one, about good and evil without really containing 
any good and evil. We see some of this impulse in the entire arc of the MCU where the moral viewpoints and quandaries of the characters seem to be kind of assigned at random and easily transferable, i.e. Civil War. Does it really matter that Tony takes the point of view that he does or Cap takes the point of view? We see these impulses everywhere and none of those examples feel especially diabolical. Spider-Verse doesn't feel especially diabolical. But where the decoupling of ritual from meaning in Marvel and many other properties feels ham-fisted, Lord and Miller are the first to make it feel elegant and even moving. If other popular artists learn from them, that's a bad thing, not a good thing, and I'm afraid they might. I'm afraid Spider-Verse might really be a game-changer. I'm afraid in 10 or 20 years, we might be more surprised than not to find a movie with any real assignable meaning. I'm afraid the deconstructionist movement of the 20th century will finally consume all popular art and will only be left with meaninglessness, which of course isn't meaningless at all. Spider-Verse isn't, you know, the harbinger of purest abstraction. It's the harbinger of narcissism, nihilism, and self-gratification, which is all that deconstruction and modern art and any scheme to decouple ritual from meaning ever was. (sighs) One day, I think this will all be so obvious that This entire podcast will feel absolute and redundant, but for now, I think that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a sign of doom. There's my prepared statement on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Well, that was loaded and heavy-handed and full of a lot of very true things about the way that storytelling is going and the way that pop art and fine arts are merging and... I agree with a lot of it. I admit it was loaded and heavy-handed. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was trying to have a little fun with it to mitigate that. And But mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I couldn't, you know, didn't have time to write the not loaded and heavy-handed <laughs> version. <laughs> so let me say, I overstated the case. And the reason I overstated the case was so that you could see what I was talking about, because I right. don't feel like I've ever articulated. Now, let me come back. Let me pull back a little bit. Yeah, this movie had some meaning. Yeah, it stacks the deck towards fatherhood and towards self-actualization in a way that we appreciate and that's better than a movie you know that the, was that was actually purely meaningless right and it falls it falls in the lines of like okay there's basic good and evil be, be good yeah and now now that i've done that now that i've given you that will you give me maybe there's a reason why i was feeling un, why i feel uncomfortable with the way this movie wields ip and what it's doing and the yeah yeah well I, we were always prepared to give you that yeah before i think so I mean, if we weren't, this the easy way to be heavy-handed and write you write your point of view off is, well, Nathan, you're just so cynical about fatherhood and fathers that you just don't want to see the clear father story that's being told. And there's no argument that you can make against that, except I feel uncomfortable. Well, then I, I think what I would come back and say, your kids who have a great father see fatherhood in this movie, me who didn't, doesn't. And that kind of, that kind of proves my point. point. And you can bring... Right. Whatever your level of love for fatherhood, you can bring it to this movie and get something completely different out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a point worth making in talking about. But I, I don't think that you can... I mean, I, I do think what I said going into your prepared speech is probably the straightest reading of the movie as It's just whole. about self-actualization. Boring self-actualization. Yeah. You make yourself... You actualize. You make yourself out of the best pieces of... The people that have poured into you and for Miles, it's a good thing that he's got a good dad because he needed that catalyst to self-actualize. 
Well, okay. So if so, we we so I am the first to admit my speech is heavy handed and all that, and too far and over the top. Can we at least say this movie is in fact a step? I think it's yeah. a step farther than Star Wars or The Matrix or. Like those movies are very broadly symbolic and very broadly – there's a sense in which the Force can be whatever you want, but there's also a sense in which you know what the Force is. Yep. And that is actually, a, I would say, a step up in meaningfulness from a leap of faith that's allowed to just be the kind of leap of faith that we make in movies. And I know it's not quite that, but it's it's always what's stuck up in my craw about this movie is yeah, it, it feels like it's – Okay, it's not. So if we can use my dumb, pretentious phrase, it hasn't completely decoupled uh, ritual from meaning. But but we've lost another link in the chain, or we've we've weakened the chain a little bit, or we've hit yeah, a I, hammer against yeah, the chain. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that's right. And Lord and Miller, I think, are so sophisticated that they're going to keep. This is my prediction for the way their career goes. I think they're going to keep hitting that chain, and it's not going to be good. Keep breaking things apart, and it's always going to be fun and clever and well done. And yeah, I mean. You guys brought up the Mitchells and the machines, which I've not seen and don't know mm-hmm. much about. But if all we had was the Lego movie mm-hmm. and this movie, I've got a strong case contextually that this is a, what they care about, fathers and sons. Yeah, I, and that would be a good case. I, I mean, hopefully we'll do, sounds like we'll do Lego movie someday. We should. But I've yeah. never, I, I saw it and a I just didn't care about it at all. And, and the father the father thing, to me, felt tacked on and empty of meaning. So, so you actually would be... Is this how I felt? It would be easier for you to, you to read much. my heavy-handed speech about Lego Movie than it would be about... Spider-Verse? Spider-Verse. Absolutely. In a sense, it felt like they were just summoning up some... Yeah, it's just, it's just, but, it's just but playing... Lego Movie connected way more with you on the father. Yeah, I loved Lego role. Movie all across the board. I thought it was a very smart and fun and moving way to play in the sandbox of story. Yeah. I hate myself for using phrases like these this folks but I just don't know how else to talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean I I I might see it again and have a different thought. We'll do it. We'll do it someday. We should definitely do it. Lord and Miller are on a trajectory, that's for sure, and they're one of the most interesting teams and noteworthy teams to follow. Like mm. I wish we had gotten their Star Wars story. It would have it would have told us a whole lot. Right. Well, and knowing that the... where they're coming from and what they're doing. Knowing that the brass was scared of it, I don't know. Were they scared because they saw the trajectory that I just described? Were they scared because these guys were asking questions of Star Wars that actually shouldn't be asked and exposing hollowness about? Or were they scared because these guys were finding meaning in Star Wars that they didn't want found? You just don't know. I mean, there's no way to answer that question. I don't know that there's even a, a real way to speculate. Yeah, it's just hard to tell. I mean, we've talked about, I mean, we've compared them very favorably to Ryan Johnson. Right. You know, both are are deconstructionists, but they're deconstructionists who, as at least the way that we framed them before, they're people that deconstruct things, but understand the the value and the virtue and have real love and affection for the things that they deconstruct. There's, there's a sense in which... They take it away and they turn around and try to give it right back to you. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's a really interesting comparison point because there's a sense in which I'm actually less uncomfortable with Ryan Johnson and I like him a lot less. Ryan Johnson just feels like he hates me and that's a point of view. He's, an, he's <laughs> right. a known quality. He's a known quantity. Right. He, he just does not believe in Luke Skywalker. He believes in something else. And at least that's a that's an ethos. You know, that's a belief. 
but Lord and Miller, it's like, do they believe in fatherhood or do they just know how to paint with the brush of fatherhood to give their movie a little bit of extra emotional oomph? It's, it's really hard to tell at this point. And I suspect that they're empty and cynical, actually, and very, very clever and very, very smart. But I don't know. They're, they, if they are, they're, they're so good at it that they actually do make movies that really connect with people. I mean, Mitchells and Machines would tilt you maybe, which I forget. They didn't, they didn't direct Spider-Verse either. Right. Yeah. They wrote the... But they are the creative voice between, behind they, no, Spider-Verse. No, they did direct it. No, they didn't. They didn't they direct Spider Verse. It's, oh. like, it's like three animation guys, but mm-hmm. but they okay. They had it's their voice. They they are the auteurs behind Spider Verse and behind Mitchells and the Machines. Mitchells and Machines is just blatantly like Dad. I've taken you for granted. Dad's taken people for granted. No, no, no. The daughter realizes she's taken Dad for granted, but also that she needs to trust Dad enough to be able to say to him mm-hmm. that he's failed her. Right. By not simply backing her up in what she wants. And what mm-hmm. she wants is whatever the things she wants, she wants them. And especially to be a lesbian. <laughs> right. You know, just what whatever it is. That's what dad that's dad's job. And her job is to trust dad's affection and care for her enough to say that. Mm-hmm. That's really that's all Mitchell's and Machines is. It's not about I mean, yes, it is about, you know, saving the world from out of control machines, but that's just a framework so that there can be self-actualization and kind of put dad in his place and teach him how to be dad. But also acknowledge that he was also a pretty good dad all along? In a way, in a very careful and clever Lord and Miller way. But see, I think that's the whole thing that's scary about them is they do everything all at once and it's, it's really how, smart. How explicit is the lesbianism? It's implicit in the way the, the character dresses and acts. And then at the end of the movie, it's explicit. Like she has a girlfriend, right? She has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. My very conservative Roman Catholic barber watched that movie and loved it and recommended it to us. And he would not, whatever lesbianism was in it was went over his head somehow. There's no other way to explain that. How, how does it go over somebody's head? Was he, did he just fall asleep at the end of the movie or what? There's like a line of dialogue. But I was primed and waiting for it the whole movie, and so was my wife, because of the way the girl dresses and acts, the way that she's not emotionally close with her dad and she doesn't trust him the whole movie, and he proves that he's actually not doing a good job. He's, he's a bumbling fool, and she comes to, to realize he actually has a lot of affection and he's doing his best as a bumbling fool, and he realizes he hasn't given his daughter the pure affirmation she needs to step out in the world. So, the very end of the movie, there's a line of dialogue where they're FaceTiming with her and the mom asks, so what about you and Alexis or whatever her name is? Are you, are you official? And she's like, well, you know, not yet or something like that. There's one line of dialogue, but you're waiting the whole movie for it or I was because I'm like, this movie, this movie wants me to like dad and to see his good qualities and to realize he's a bumbling fool at the same time. That's the kind of dad they want. So, they have plausible deniability. And they want me to like this girl and like that she's sweet in her whatever way and not just, not just, she's not like a nasty Laura Dern. Yeah. No, I I mean. From Wikipedia, the film was praised by critics for putting an openly LGBT character, Katie, as the central figure of a family-oriented animated movie. 
Randa and Roe wrote Katie to be unambiguously LGBT in consultation with blah, 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 I, blah. I, I know the critics and the things say that. I was just curious. I'm not trying to dispute it. Sure. I'm trying to understand how, how my naive but very conservative Roman Catholic barber who's in his 60s. Maybe he genuinely just thought it was we were seeing her roommate at the end and yeah, kind of scrubbed if you, over. If you miss that line of dialogue... And if you're if you don't understand what the pink or purple hair means, and there's there's an early on shot of her talking about her trying to find her identity, and one shows her wearing like man's clothing, she's like changing clothing in her room. You know, it's a scene of a montage, yeah. and it's like it's like it's a tell. It's an early tell. Like this is who this person is, yeah. and she's wearing a rainbow pin the whole movie. You've just got all these little tells, like hey, just so signaling to, be, to anyone to who knows. Blind. That's right. Signaling to anyone you have to be who knows. Pretty culturally blind to not pick up on that's right on the cues. But if you really are culturally blind to rainbows and cross dressing and pink hair, yeah, and manage to miss a line of dialogue where they say, "How's your girlfriend?" or "Yeah, are you guys official?" or something. Yeah, that's right. I think if I told him that, I think if I went and watched that movie with my kids and came back and said, "Why'd you, you know, recommend the queer affirming movie?" He'd be scandalized. And he's not stupid. I'm just that that the. It's the no. only reason I'm asking the question is because it's a good question. I mean, he's conservative and he's not stupid, but yeah. he missed it. Part of it, but is, maybe there's nothing nothing of more of value to get out of it. I'm just trying to parse this. I guess the whole conversation is about the relative sophistication of Lord and Miller here. So that's right. It's there's also sometimes a generational gap of media sophistication. Oh, I'm sure that's a big factor. But that shows that, I think that just goes to show that they are so good at mixing so many signals together that they actually can have it play one way to a 60-year-old and another way to an 18-year-old. And yep. I don't think that they're unaware of that. Not, you know, not that they intentionally set out to deceive your barber, but they wanted this to play as a wholesome family film. And, That's right. And they wanted it to have an explicit LGBT-affirming plot line. Yeah, I mean, it was Netflix, for goodness sake. And they wanted both of those signals to go out loud and clear to everyone who needed to receive them. I mean, that's just what, that's what they do. Yep. <sighs> I mean, I was excited. I was like, oh, this movie's cool. And I'm like, oh, Lord and Miller. I love everything they do. It has awesome animation. It's movie, it's, you know, it's movie theater quality. Yeah, so I movie. was ready to be like, well, I'll reactivate Netflix for a month. and Sure. And then I saw you know, the reviews or maybe you, Nathan told me or tipped me off or something before I got that far. Yeah. I mean, I was excited. I was like, man, this looks like so much fun. Yeah. Well, whoever wins between Mitchell's and the machines, we lose. <laughs> I think that was the tagline to alien versus predator or Freddy versus Jason or one of those probably alien versus predator. <laughs> whoever wins, probably. we lose. Probably. All right. Well, Anything else to say about Spider-Verse? We have done now maybe a combined four hours or so on this movie. It's a fun movie to talk about, and there's a lot there. So, would you recommend that families not watch this movie? That's a great question. You would ask that question. It's the right conclusion based on your statement, or the right question, I should say. Right. No, I would recommend that families absolutely watch this movie and talk about it. What a wonderful opportunity to talk about. I mean, just ask your, just watch the movie, ask your kids the question, why did Miles 
why was he able to gain his powers when he gained his powers? What was the, what was he believing in? We know that a leap of faith requires faith in something. What was his faith in? And then have a discussion about it. And you don't have to land where I landed. You don't have to land where Jake landed. But I think it's pointing to something that is becoming corrupt in our culture, but it's possible for something to be a sign of corruption without actually being in and of itself corrupt. And I would be fine with saying that this movie is not that. I think this I think you're going to see a lot of things downstream of this that you would never want to show your kids. But this could be a good inoculation or just a fun movie to watch and say, eh, whatever. We, we're not there yet. <laughs> the apocalypse hasn't happened yet, whatever Nathan says. So, I don't know. Is that, am I selling out my argument there? Or you want to box me into more of a corner based on everything I've said? No, I don't think so. Maybe maybe I deserve it, but I mean, the the tenets of this podcast have never been that people need to not watch any of these things. There are certain things that they shouldn't watch, and we talk about those sometimes, but I think we need to watch them with our eyes open. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Nathan and I were just talking off mic mm-hmm. <laughs> about the, the weird tension of the more, like, well, actually enjoying these discussions about movies and enjoying thinking about them and coming to conclusions. It, well, the, the more that I do this, the more I'm like, I really don't think most movies are very valuable. (laughs) It's like the more useful conversation you get out of them, the more you're like, I don't really want to watch that again. This is not very good. And that's a weird dynamic. Yeah. Well, and this this podcast has always been about helping people make those choices and make make them intelligently. Because if you don't have these kinds of conversations about them, people will just watch things. Mm -hmm. Yep. Unthinkingly. And they may have a preference for things that are older or something like that, but it'll be no different than the unthinking homeschool reading list that is okay with Victorian smut, but not modernist smut. Right. Well, and I just think while I'm happy for anyone to take any off-ramp that their conscience tells them to take, I also think most of us are not taking an off-ramp off the world where we never have to deal with modern media. And so it's worth talking about these things and it's worth understanding them and it's worth being Mm -hmm. familiar with what's going on out there. Yeah. And so, for example, we're not talking about Suicide Squad, but we are talking about Black Widow because Black Widow is a decent inoculation against the more vicious nastiness of Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Anything else to say about that? sort of thing guys i don't think so no <sighs> all right well how many stars out of seven do you give to this discussion <laughs> of spider-verse into the spider-verse ben you know i really thought that that's what you were going to ask me nathan i i give it any if i give it too many stars it's self-aggrandizing and if i don't give it enough that's not good either. So, what do I do? Here, I'll give it six stars out of seven. Six star. You're docking at a star. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so humble. <laughs> I have no idea. It was a good discussion. It's yeah. helpful. It's helpful to me personally. Yeah, I liked it. Jake, yeah. how many stars? Five and a half stars. Five. Do you want to say why you're docking Jake's it? Jake's more humble than me. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> All right. Well, I am docking it 
a star for every i think it was a perfect discussion but i think you guys ruined it with your self-deprecation and your false humility you know perfectly well it was a great discussion and that people should listen to it and benefit from it and so i'm docking it two stars for each self-deprecating comment and i'm giving it zero because i think you guys have made enough to enough self-deprecating comments <laughs> to bring this discussion down into the gutter where it yeah. belongs. <laughs> where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to lower uh, my star rating now that we have a very dishonest rating from Nathan. <laughs> I think honesty and integrity in our rating system should prevail. <laughs> well, I think on a meta level, we've now actually raised it back up <laughs> by, by, by acknowledging everything that's wrong with it. I'm just going to give it a full seven. There yeah, we go. That's it. Seven stars. Yeah, all seven around. stars. Seven all around. <laughs> 777. We're a very biblical podcast. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies to support this podcast. Enable us to finally have that Raimi discussion that we're chomping at the bit to have, as well as the Joel Schumacher. No, we're not going to discuss him. (laughs) If you decrease too much money from the Patreon, (laughs) we'll talk about Batman and Robin. But no, no, no. Go to patreon.com for our signing day at the movies. Get us up to 250. We talk about Spider-Man, the Raimis, and the... Oh, no, is that... No. No. You're, we I'm have sorry. to hit Superman and Batman. Oh. Yeah, we're, just, okay, we're yeah, ways yeah. off. We're Guys, ways off. Yeah. Get us there. We have so much to talk about, and it's going to be so helpful to you to understand absolutely everything that you watch and that you love and that you think you love and everything that you are finding that maybe you don't really love anymore. Yep. Yep. But you got to get us through... Superman and Batman and Raimi and Nolan. And when we get through that, your whole understanding of the MCU and everything else, Star Wars will be revolutionized. Guys, I want to say more phrases like decoupling meaning from ritual, (laughs) but I can't say them without money. (laughs) You got to pay for stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, How about this? If you give us money, I will never say the phrase (laughs) decoupling meaning from ritual. (laughs) <laughs> again and by the way if you have a less snooty way to say that same thing then let me know because i'd love to hear it separating i probably think of one right now separating meaning from story uh ritual is actually a helpful word i thought here. ritual Sorry. was a helpful way I to think, think of it. what you could substitute <sighs> yeah well decoupling studiness studiness <laughs> snootiness snootiness from insight <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go yep give us money and we'll decouple snootiness from insight yeah and until next time we'll just you know keep our meanings and metaphors together yeah the medium is the metaphor right (laughs) i'm confused now i don't know what's happening (laughs) until next time until uh one last time is that a move line from the movie yeah it's like when oh yep 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 yeah thanks ben you're welcome. I'm glad you watched the movie. I can't say yeah. Before yep. you did four hours of podcasting on it. I don't, I don't actually watch these movies. <laughs> I just sit alone and think of phrases like decoupling ritual for meaning. Goodbye, folks. 